Well, good morning again, church family. My name is Hunter Sewell. I'm the college pastor here at Living Hope, and it's a great joy to be with you here this morning. Um, we're going to be studying Psalm 121 this morning, so I want to invite you, if you've got a Bible, uh, to turn with me there. As uh, Jason Baird mentioned earlier, we've been studying the, the Psalms this summer, and we've been studying the Psalms because we know that the Psalms give hope to those who follow Jesus. And we know, too, that uh, in our lives, we, we often have emotions that run haywire, and we have feelings that go astray, and our perceptions are short-sighted, and we need something that anchors our lives. And so what we've been doing in this, in this series is uh, it's what I like to call emotional discipline. We've been learning to train our thoughts and our emotions and our perceptions based upon the reality of who God says that he is in his word. And this morning, we're going to be dealing with a, a vision issue. In life, we have moments of darkness. Moments of great sadness, moments of great pain, of grief, these moments where it feels like there's darkness all around and there's no way for us to move forward. And we wonder, are we ever going to even make it through this circumstance? Over the past few weeks, my wife and I, her name's Holly, uh, we've been reading through the Chronicles of Narnia. It's a book series written by C.S. Lewis, and it tells of the magical world of Narnia, it's a, a world where uh, mythical beasts abound and your, your wildest imaginations come true. And uh, in the fourth book of this series, it's called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. And The Voyage of the Dawn Treader focuses on a few main characters, Edmund and Lucy Pevensey and their cousin Eustace. Uh, and they're on this journey, along with Prince Caspian, to go, uh, to go and to defeat evil from the land of Narnia. And they have to get on this boat. It's called the, Vo- the Dawn Treader. So they're on this voyage to go and to destroy evil. And their mission is pretty simple. There's seven lords that were lost. And these seven lords have seven swords. And if you go and collect the seven swords from the seven lost lords, then you can defeat evil. And there's this great scene as they're going through, they're collecting swords. And they, they come across this last aisle. They have to travel through the lone aisles to collect these swords. And the last aisle that they have to, to go into is called the Dark Isle. And is the complete antithesis of all that Narnia is. A place of life and imagination and wonder is matched by, in the dark aisle, a place of pure evil. It's a manifestation of evil. There's darkness everywhere. They, they talk about in the book how it's a, the place where your deepest fears and your, and your greatest temptations, that they become reality. And so as the, the crew of the Dawn Treader is entering into this dark aisle to go and get this sword... There's this scene in the book that I thought was really powerful. It speaks, speaks directly to what we're talking about today. Some of you may be able to relate to this. They cross the line from, you can see there's a very clear line between the, the blue water and the, the bright sunshine and the darkness of the dark aisle, the shadow. And they cross into this darkness and pretty quickly they're, they're overwhelmed. They can't see a way forward. There's this collective groan from the, the crew of the Dawn Treader and they wonder, are we ever going to get out of here? There's no way out for us. We're, we're stuck here in darkness. And Lucy, uh, one of the main characters, Lucy the Valiant, as she's nicknamed by Aslan. Uh, Aslan is the Christ figure in, in the Chronicles of Narnia. She cries out, Aslan, Aslan, if you've ever loved us, please help us now. And she realizes pretty quickly, she looks up in the sky and there's an albatross. The albatross is a big bird. It's circling the, circling the mast of the ship. And the albatross is saying something, but only Lucy can hear it. And in the voice of the albatross, she recognizes the voice of Aslan. And he says to her, courage, dear heart. Courage, dear heart. As they continue moving forward, it was this word from Aslan. And, and, and in that, a reminder of Aslan's nearness to them that gave them the courage to move forward, even when it felt like all the darkness was around them. 
And our text this morning helps us to, to deal with moments just like that, when we're surrounded by darkness and we can't seem to see a way forward. And in those moments, the only way forward is by faith. And Hebrews 11.1 1 tells us what faith is. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It takes a lot of courage to move forward in faith. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to learn some truths about God that are going to inform the courage that we have to move forward in faith. And I'm going to invite Ms. Josie Hutchins to come up. She's going to read our passage for us this morning. Uh, we're going to read from Psalm 121. So if you would, uh, please stand with us in honor of God's word as Ms. Josie reads. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Our psalm this morning is actually the second of the songs of ascent. There's a collection of, of psalms starting in Psalm 120 that go all the way through 134 that are called the Songs of Ascent. These were songs that uh, Israelite pilgrims would have sung as they were making their way to Jerusalem to worship. And these songs uh, were, were songs that they were singing to encourage their souls. The journey to Jerusalem was difficult, and they would sing these songs as a reminder of who their God is and where they were going to worship. And what we're going to do this morning is we're going to learn to learn how to teach ourselves, to teach our souls these truths. What I, what I recognize pretty quickly for, for most of us is that the truths that we're going to see or that we do see in God's word, especially here in Psalm 121, this is a, a pretty familiar passage for many of us. These aren't new truths about God. We know these truths to be true. The tricky part, when we're in these seasons and these, uh, these, these clouds of darkness, when our vision is clouded by our circumstances, not to know what is true and what's not. For many of us, the difficulty comes in applying these truths of what we do know to our hearts. And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going we're to speak to our souls. We're going to teach our soul, soul, remember this about God. And if we'll remember these truths about God, then we'll be able to be a thriving people in every circumstance that we go through. So I want to encourage you, if you want to take some notes this morning, you can make notes of these, that even when life feels unbearable, thriving people, they remind themselves of these four truths about God. And the first one is this, that the God who helps me made heaven and earth. That the God who helps me made heaven and earth. That's what we see here in verse one and two. The psalmist writes, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens in the earth. See, God had commanded his people to travel to Jerusalem to worship. Because in Jerusalem was the temple, and in the temple was the Ark of the Covenant. It's a symbol of God's presence on earth. But the journey to Jerusalem was not an easy one, nor was it a light journey. For many people, it was a very difficult journey. There were robbers and thieves that were hiding among the caves. If you remember the story of the Good Samaritan, think about that kind of picture that you have in your mind of at any point there may be an ambush. There were also high places erected to, to gods of, of other religions. There were spiritual temptations, dangers to worship another false god. They were also facing, facing all kinds of elements, the scorching sun at day, the cool temperatures at night. This was not an easy journey by any means. And as a worshiper was walking to Jerusalem, they may have lifted their eyes to the hills. 
And this phrase, it, it can mean a couple of different things, but either way, they both, they both convey this idea, this necessity for help. Whether they were looking up to the hills and looking for robbers, they were looking for thieves that were getting ready to ambush them, or they were looking forward to Jerusalem, to the hills surrounding Jerusalem, the place where God's presence and God's people were. One, an occasion for anxiety, another occasion for anticipation, but either way, they knew where I am right now, I, I want to be there, and I need someone to help me to make sure that I get there. And our journey to the new Jerusalem isn't a whole lot different either, is it? On our journey to the new Jerusalem, we have dangers along the way. For those of us who are in Christ, our life is not easy. Our spiritual walk is is not danger-free. We have an enemy who prowls around like a, a roaring lion seeking to devour. He seeks to steal and to kill and to destroy. He would love nothing more than to derail God's people. Sin plagues our bodies and our minds. Fear and doubt assail us. We struggle in this life. We feel vulnerable and fragile overwhelmed, anxious in some moments, filled with anticipation in others. And just like the Israelites, we know that we need help. Sadly, many of us look to the wrong things for help. I was reading an article, a, a study that was done uh, a few, few years ago about where people turn when they're stressed, when they're overwhelmed. What are the things that people turn to? It was really interesting, about 51% of people said that they turned to family or friends. You know, they were looking for somebody who, who maybe had already been in that season uh, and could coach them through it, maybe some, share some expertise or some experience that they learned. About 10% of people turned to, to medication. They were looking for something to help them to process through what was going on, or, and about another 5% turned to a counselor or to a therapist, someone to kind of coach them on their journey. But what made me really sad was to see that about 38%, almost 40% of these people When they declared that they were in a spot that they needed help, they knew they needed help, they still turned to no one for help. 38% of people in this this study said that even when they're in a spot they can't handle on their own, they still tried to handle it on their own. Now, this study didn't didn't tell us whether or not these people were Christians or not, but I wonder how many of us in this room who would profess to be followers of Christ do the exact same things, that we turn to things of creation rather than to our creator, when we find ourselves in a place that we need help. It makes me so sad to see people turn to the things of this world for help. I was at Barnes & Noble a couple weeks ago, and I was walking around, and there's a, there's a self-help section of books. Um, there's, a, there's a bookshelf filled with all kinds of different things, filled with occult practices, filled with Wiccan and other religious ideologies. It was filled with self-help tips. It was filled with diet fads and workout trends. It was filled with all these kinds of things. And there were people that were coming to the shelf, scouring the pages, flipping them, looking through, trying to find something to help them, trying to find something that was going to help give them a sense of purpose, a great sense of of meaning, of, of clarifying where they were at in their life. They were looking, searching for something. And it made me so sad to see that. And I, I wish I would have gone and just had a conversation with them and I could have told them about Jesus who is our helper because he is the only one who can satisfy the longing of our hearts. And as the psalmist was looking to the hills and he was searching for his help, he recognized the truth that's important for both Christians and non-Christians alike to know this morning. Here's what he said. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist knew my help doesn't come from creation. My help doesn't come from anything that has been created. My help comes from the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth. There's a couple things that are important to note there about verse two. This idea of God's help, uh, it's really conveying the, the strong, sovereign presence of God in our lives. 
So when he says, my help comes from the Lord, he's saying that God's strong, sovereign presence is in my life. And he says that the God who helps us is no less than the God who, in Genesis 1 and 2, he was the God who spoke creation into existence. He's no less than the God of Isaiah 40 who, who knows and names the stars in the sky and not a single one of them is lost. He's the God who in Psalm 139 tells that he forms us, he knit us together in our mother's wombs. He's the God in Isaiah 46 who knows the end from the beginning. He is the sovereign creator God of all of the universe. That is the God who helps us. And that is a very comforting truth for us to rest in as followers of Christ. If you ask, well, how does God help me? What does this help look like? Well, that's really the answer, the the question that the psalmist answers throughout the rest of this psalm. But I want to give you just a, a quick few other ways that God helps us as we journey to the new Jerusalem. How does God help us? Well, I would encourage you maybe just to write down these references. You can look at them later or you can just listen. The God provides mercies that are new every morning. Lamentations 3.22. He provides grace that's sufficient to sustain us. And he provides power that is perfected in our weakness. 2 Corinthians 10.9. He loves us with a satisfying, never-ending kind of love. Psalm 90 verse 14. He gives rest to the heavy laden, to those who are bearing heavy burdens. Matthew 11.28. He never leaves us and he never forsakes us, Hebrews 13, 5. He instructs us in his word so we know how to live a life that's pleasing to him, Psalm 32, 8. We could go on and on all day to talk about how our God helps us. But I think you're starting to get the point that our God helps us as we journey to the new Jerusalem. But in all reality, apart from his help, we wouldn't even begin that journey. So you and I are born dead in our trespasses and sins. We are created to live in our relationship with God, to know him, to love him, to obey him. We've chosen to reject God. We've chosen to to choose the passions of our flesh and the things of this world rather than obedience to God. And we've sinned and we are broken and we feel the weight of our brokenness. And we wonder, where is my help gonna come from? Because I long to have this relationship with God. I long to be made whole. I long to be made right. But here I am stuck in my brokenness with no hope. Who is going to help me? And this is the good news of the gospel, isn't it? That Christ Jesus, God the Son, he clothed himself in humanity. He became flesh like you and I. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. He was tempted as you and I are, and and he, he completely passed every temptation without sin. And he went to the cross to bear the punishment that you and I deserve for our sin, which is death. He died on the cross, and he was buried in the grave, and three days later, he was risen to be king over all And he defeated death and sin and the grave. And there is nothing that is apart outside of the lordship of Christ Jesus. And if the scriptures tell us if we will repent of our sin, if we will confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised from the dead, that we too will be saved. And if you're here this morning and you're looking for someone to help in your situation, don't look to me. Don't look to anybody else. Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to redeem you. Ask him to make you whole, and he will. And you can have new life in this life, and you can have an an eternal life in the next. By grace, through faith, in Christ alone, there is no other way. So if you're here this morning and you've never trusted in Christ, and you say that, that's something that I need so badly, and even now would be a perfect time to do that. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask Ask him to be the Lord of your life and you will be saved, and you can have that hope of heaven this morning. But I recognize that for most of us in this room that we have 
trusted Christ for salvation. That is our story, one of redemption by grace through faith in Christ alone. But I want to encourage you with, with a, an often overlooked uh, truth about the gospel. Yes, Christ Jesus has been raised, but also Christ Jesus has been ascended. He has ascended, and he is now seated, seated. His work is finished, and he is now at the right hand of the, the throne of God our Father. And he's interceding on our behalf. And we have this great confidence that we can, we can go to him and know that he is interceding on our behalf. Here's what we read in Hebrews 4, verse 14 through 16. Since then, we have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Verse 16, the then let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So take courage, dear hearts, to remember this when life feels unbearable, that your God made the heavens and the earth, that your God is your help, that he is the almighty God and that there is nothing that can happen to you that is apart from his sovereign plan for your life. There is nothing that is outside of his authority or his ability to help. And take courage, dear hearts, to know this too that you have a great high priest. His name is Jesus. And you can go to him at any time and you will find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Our God is a faithful God and he will keep his promise. So you can count on that. Second truth that we see this morning is that thriving people remind their soul that the God who keeps me never sleeps and he never slumbers. That the God who keeps me never sleeps or slumbers. Something really interesting happens here uh, when you start verse three, you switch from having a first person uh, to a third person. So, so he's essentially speaking these truths to his own soul, which is exactly what we're learning to do this morning, isn't it? We're learning to speak the truth about who God is to our souls. And, and what he's speaking to his soul this morning is the truth that God is our keeper and that he watches over us. Here's what he says in verse three. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. You know, I love to watch those videos on Facebook. I'll, I'll be the first to admit it. I sometimes stay up way late at night, way later than I'm supposed to, because I'm scrolling through Facebook uh, watching videos. And I love to watch the videos of the superhuman dads. Uh, the super dads are the, the, the kind of dads that uh, when their child is about to fall, it's like they have this supernatural sense and they can reach out and they catch their kid before they harm themselves. Uh, there was one in particular that I thought was really funny. And it's a kid, he's jumping up and down on the couch. He's maybe two years old, which I'm not a dad, so I can't give this guy parent advice. But I can't think that that's a good idea. But this kid's jumping up and down on the couch. And all of a sudden, he gets really close to the edge. And he jumps and he goes head first over the couch. And the dad's over on the left side of the screen, and he's watching TV or something. He's got another baby in his hand, I think, too, in this video. And at the last second, right before the kid's head hits the ground, I mean, he can't be this far off the ground. The dad reaches out and basically catches the kid, his head in his palm, and the kid, you know, he just comes up and he's smiling. There's no harm, no foul. And, and I, it's funny how dads have that, that kind of supernatural sense, but the image that I have here in my mind of, of what the psalmist is teaching us about God is that he is like a dad watching over his kids. He's like a dad who is actively present. He's watching over his children, looking out for dangers and supernaturally taking care of his children. And he uses, the psalmist uses three different phrases uh, that are worth noting about uh, how God keeps watch over us. He says that God won't let our feet be moved. He, you know, in, in other words, God keeps our feet secure. 
He doesn't let us slip and slide and stumble and stagger. He keeps us firmly planted. He doesn't slumber. That's a wonderful truth. He doesn't doze off. He doesn't miss moments. He's never groggy and kind of isn't totally aware of what's going on. And he doesn't sleep. And each of those phrases speak to this one truth that we see over and over, and we've talked about over and over today, that there is never a moment that our God is not actively keeping watch over his children. There is never, ever a moment when our God is caught off guard because he is asleep. And I was uh, reminded this week as I was studying of the story that I learned as a child about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. It's a story you can read about in 1 Kings, and uh, 1 Kings 18, actually. And uh, it's a story of basically Elijah and these prophets of Baal are having a, a worship contest. And they're both going to build these altars to see which one is the, the true God. And the prophets of Baal go first. And it's their turn, and they build this altar. And, and, and Elijah tells us, uh, or actually the, the writer of 1 Kings tells us how it goes. It says that they took the bull that was given to them. And they prepared it, and they called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no answer. And they limped around the altar that they had made. And about halfway through this deal, it says, Elijah at noon, he mocked him. And here's what he said. Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or, or perhaps he's asleep, and he needs to be awakened. So they continue for the rest of the evening, they're, they're demonstrations to try to get Baal to answer grow uh, more and more demonstrative and at the end there's no answer Baal doesn't answer he can't answer because Baal is not real and then it's Elijah's turn and Elijah when it's his turn he digs a trench around the altar and he pours water over it three different times he soaks and saturates this sacrifice with water so it could be no coincidence that God is the one who's going to consume this sacrifice and Elijah prays and immediately God consumes the sacrifice Isn't it wonderful to know that our God never sleeps and our God never slumbers? That there's never a moment where he's sleeping that we have to cry louder to get him to listen to us. That we have to do more things to catch his attention because he's he's dozed off somewhere. Our God does not sleep. Our God does not slumber. The pagan gods of that day, even the, the idols that we have in our lives today, they need rest. But not our God. Our God never sleeps and our God never slumbers. So be encouraged, dear hearts, to know this truth, that our God doesn't sleep and he doesn't slumber, but that he is always watching over his people and he is actively caring for them, just like a father cares for his children. And if you are a child of your heavenly fathers, you can be encouraged that you will never be lost. And we'll get to that here in just a moment, but the third truth is this, that thriving people remind their soul that the God who protects me is always with me. The God who protects me is always with me. Verse five, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. And what the psalmist is doing here is giving us two word pictures to describe the the protection of God and his presence in our lives. First, he says that the the Lord is your shade. This is speaking to God's protective presence. That God is protecting us from elements. He's protecting us. And this same promise is made to us in in Psalm 91. In our translations, though, if you read Psalm 91, you'll see that the the same word for shade is translated as shadow in Psalm 91. Here's what we read. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. 
You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. For the Israelite, God protected them from the elements. He protected them from their physical enemies. For those of us who are in Christ, our God protects us from our enemy, from the evil one, and he shelters us in Christ Jesus. There is safety and there is security in the shadow of the wings of the Almighty. Now, that doesn't mean that we'll live a a pain-free, sorrow-free, suffering-free life. For follower of Christ, quite the opposite is actually what Jesus tells us. I read this past week in Matthew 10 with one of the college students. Jesus talks about how if they treated him with death, then we're going to receive the same thing. Their life and this earth is not one that's pain-free and always comfortable. But what we can know is that even when we go through those moments... Even when we have these moments of pain, of great, uh, great, great sadness, great grief, that we can know that we are never apart from God's protection for our lives, that he is always protecting us, that he is always keeping us. And then he says, the Lord is your shade, and then he qualifies it, and he says, the Lord is your shade, he says, on your right hand. That's an important thing, because this speaks to God's personal presence, his protective presence and his personal presence. He's telling us is that God doesn't just keep us from his royal throne up in heaven. It's not that he's just some distant deity way off in the distance that we are just kind of left here on our own to fend for ourselves. No, our God is personally present. And this idea of being on the right side is one that carries a lot of weight because back in the day, soldiers would carry a shield in their left hand and they would carry a sword in their right hand. And so you may stand to fight like this and if you're fighting, your whole right side is going to be exposed. So oftentimes they would fight in, fight in groups or maybe they would fight with somebody on their right side. They were always looking for a, a soldier, a partner, a friend to cover their right side. So maybe in today's modern kind of uh, translation, you may say something like, cover my six, watch my back, protect my blind side. These are all the same way of saying the same thing. And the word picture that the psalmist here is creating for us is one of God protecting us in our most vulnerable areas. In the areas where we have the least defense and we are most vulnerable to the enemy's attacks, this is where God is present to to protect us. He's fighting off the things that seek to harm us. And knowing that God is personally present and protective in our lives, this is a very, very powerful truth. When I was growing up, my dad and I had what we called a buddy verse. It was a verse that my dad and I would often quote back and forth. Uh, and it was a verse that he would quote to me in times where I was really struggling. If I was struggling to do, do something that I was nervous about or I was struggling through discouragement or even some sort of like anxiety or sorrow, he would encourage me with this verse. And it reminded me about God's presence. Here's what it says, Joshua 1.9. Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so take courage, dear hearts. Be strong and courageous. Your God is not a distant deity watching over you from afar. Your God is personally present. Your protector is with you. And that there is no one who is nearer to you than he is. And you can rest knowing that our God who is protecting us also never misses a moment. This is the fourth truth that we see. Thriving people remind their soul that the God who preserves me sees my every moment. The God who preserves me Seize my every moment. Verse seven, the Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. And I love to think about the truth about God's preservation of our lives, that he preserves us. He preserves us from evil. 
Again, that doesn't mean that we're going to live a, a pain-free, evil-free life. We know, and everybody in this room, I would imagine many people in this room can give testimony to the Psalm 23, 4 moment, where you walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And some of you are maybe in that moment right now. You know that your, your life on this earth is not evil-free. But what we can know is that even in the valley, we're not alone. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, our God is with us, and he's preserving us even there. He's guiding us with his staff. He's protecting us with his rod. Our God preserves us from evil, and he preserves our lives. Scripture tells us that God keeps our comings and our goings. Our God is a God of details. If you remember back to when Jesus is telling his disciples to not be anxious, he tells them that your heavenly Father knows even the number of hairs on your head. And it's probably not difficult for a guy like me, but for maybe some of you who have a lot of hairs in your head, you be, cur- be encouraged this morning to know that even God knows every single hair on your head. He knows every single star in the sky, and not a single one of either of them goes missing apart from his permission. Our God preserves our lives. There's nothing that happens to us that is outside of the sovereign plan of God. So take courage, dear hearts, to know that truth. There is nothing that can or will happen to us that is outside of God's sovereign, perfect, glorious plan for our lives. And take courage, dear hearts, to know this too, that even when it feels like you might not be able to make make it through and that the sickness or the disease or whatever it is that is clouding your ability to see God, if that is the thing that takes you home to God and you, you start to wonder, well, I've got doubt and I've got fear and I've got all these things, will God preserve me even in these seasons? The answer is absolutely he will. And I pray that you would be encouraged by these two, two passages in scripture this morning. John 10, 27, my sheep hear my voice. This is Jesus speaking. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Jesus says that there is no sickness, no death, no enemy that can ever, ever, ever snatch us out of the Father's hand. We are safe and he holds us fast. And then again in Romans 8, 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And I know that sometimes it does feel like life is like that. That we're being handed over to death all the day long. Maybe even feeling like a sheep that's being led to the slaughter. Paul writes, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Nothing will separate us. And he goes in verse 38, for I'm sure that neither death nor life Angels, nor rulers, things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. From this time forth and forevermore, our God preserves us. And so take courage, dear hearts. The God who helps you is the God who's made heaven and earth. Take courage, dear hearts. The God who keeps you is the God who never sleeps and the God who never slumbers. Take courage, dear hearts. The God who protects you is the God who is always with you. And take courage, dear hearts. The God who preserves you is the God who sees your every moment and is always with you. And as we learn to apply these truths, to press these truths to our souls, even when we can't see a way forward, then I pray that this will be true of us, that by God's grace, we may share in this experience with the the crew of the Dawn Treader. 
It says this, in a few moments, the darkness turned into grayness ahead. And then almost before they began, they, they dared to begin hoping, they had shot out into the sunlight and they were in the warm blue world again. And all at once, everybody realized that there was nothing to be afraid of and there never had been. And I know maybe some of you here this morning who have never trusted in Christ to save you. And you may be here and you may be looking for help. You may not even be aware of how badly you need help, but maybe this morning was the, uh, the way that the Holy Spirit uh, opened your eyes to see your need for Jesus. And if that's where you are this morning, and uh, I pray that you would go to the Lord and you would ask him to save you, that you would confess your sin, that you would trust in him to save you. I want to invite the response team to come forward. There'll be people that are down here uh, around the stage that would love to talk to you more about who Jesus is and what he's done for you and how you can know him. But I recognize, again, that many of us have had that experience already. We have trusted in Christ to save. So maybe you're here this morning and you're going through one of these dark aisle kind of moments where the darkness just seems like it's all around you. So much sadness, so much grief, so much pain. And you're wondering, am I ever going to be able to get through it? And would you this morning cry out to God and confess your, your need for his help? Would you just ask him, God, would you, will you please help me? And would you take these truths that we saw in God's word and would you, would you speak them to your soul? Would you press them against your heart that you might know that they're true? Or maybe you're here this morning and you're doing okay and, and you're, you're, you're fine right now and life doesn't feel like it's super chaotic. It doesn't feel like there's any storms of darkness around you. But I want to remind you, as Pastor Jason often has said, that you're either going into a storm, you're presently in one, or you've just come out of one. And if you've come out of one, you, you may be headed into one again here soon. And so if you're here this morning and you're doing okay, would you go to the throne of grace on behalf of a, a brother or sister in Christ, a friend, someone who doesn't know Jesus? Would you go to the Lord on their behalf this morning and ask him to do a work in their heart that they may, t- they may see these things as true too? They may believe these things in their own heart and they may have a sense of hope, a sense of peace, a sense of joy, even in the midst of the, the darkness of their life. I want to invite the response team to come forward as they stand down here. And if you feel led by the Holy Spirit to come and have a conversation, we would love the opportunity to minister to you, to pray with you, to encourage you, to share more scripture with you. Whatever it is, I want to just encourage you to, to be re- responsive to the Holy Spirit's prompting in your heart this morning. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we, we come before you this morning so humbled by the truth that you are a God who has made heaven and earth, yet you have given yourself that we might know you. We're humbled by the reality that you have given us your word that we, such unworthy sinners, could have a relationship with you. We can know about your son Jesus and what he's done. And Lord, we come before you this morning to confess our, our sense of, uh, of, of self-dependence. Oh, we are so often so dependent upon ourselves, but the reality is, God, we need you more than we need the next breath, of, uh, a breath in our lungs. And would you awaken us this morning to see that reality? Would you help us to see our desperate need for you, King Jesus? And would we respond in obedience to come and to ask you for help? For those in this room this morning, Lord, who, who are going through one of those dark aisle kinds of moments, I pray that your presence would be so felt in their lives, that your peace that surpasses understanding and your, your presence would comfort them in these seasons. And Lord, that they would be confident that you are a God who preserves them 
that there is nothing that's happening to them that is apart from your good and your glorious plan for their lives. And if your good and your glorious plan for their lives includes them going through this trial that might lead them to death, that they may rest in the truth that you preserve them for eternity. Not because of anything that we've done or anything that we've earned, but all because of grace. And so Lord, we, we thank you so much for that. I pray that you would give us courage to respond even now as your spirit leads us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I wanna finish this morning by reading a, a, a doxology from the book of Jude. Uh, I pray this would be our, our praise, our heart's cry as we walk out of this place this morning after having learned these truths about God that we would go and we would, we would live this way. It says this, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory and majesty and dominion and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.